Hola, hola. I'm so happy to have Gael as my guest today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. You know, the youth today is really pushing past our technology skills. And in the previous podcast, we really like to level up your skill set. Not only that, but we want to hear more from you as the listener about how we can improve this podcast and services that we can offer to Comunidad. So if you go to latinasb2b.com and sign up for our newsletter, we'll send you a survey and you'll also be part of our newsletter community where we're showcasing small businesses, we do podcast highlights, and many other things that we share with Comunidad. That's latinasb2b.com and sign up for our newsletter. Gracias. If you want to reach younger audiences, just studying them, seeing how they speak, where they hang out, what they do, what they use is incredibly valuable. And so I remember in that panel, we just spoke a lot about building a brand and using social media and why we did video, why we use video and all those stuff. I mean, like if you would come to like the panels where people that are younger than you are speaking, you would be much more up to date than trying to see how what industry professionals think about it. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom, where wisdom comes from everywhere. This is a podcast about generational wisdom shared to help build a bridge for future generations and to build stronger communities through education, technology, and health. Welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Hola, hola. Welcome, mi gente, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Today, my special guest is Gael Ayatol. He is 18 years old, and he is leading the Gen Z podcasting space. With over five years of experience, Gael is an expert at growing engaged Gen Z audiences. Currently, he is the creator and host of the Teenager Therapy Podcast, the largest teen mental health podcast in the world. He's been featured in the New York Times, Teen Vogue, and Good Morning America for his work on teenager therapy. Gael and I met at Podcast Movement Evolutions in Los Angeles just this past March. We were so excited to connect and share our discussion on how we could collaborate. And so today we're making that happen. Welcome, Gael, to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Okay, Gael, welcome to Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. I just want to bring our guests up to speed here on the month of May is Mental Health Awareness Month. Um, it is very critical that we all acknowledge that. And my guest, Gael, is the podcaster along with other contributors that he has on Teenage Therapy, which you can follow on YouTube. It's totally amazing. He interviewed Prince Harry and Meghan Markle. Hello, excuse me. So <laughs> thank you for joining. And I just want to tell people also that we met at Podcast Movement in Los Angeles. Yes, we did. So I'm so happy for that connection and your background. So I just want to lead people into that, knowing more about you and how you got Teenage Therapy started and where you came from. Yeah, of course. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Obviously, I love I love talking to other people in my community. I'm Latino as well. So it's really something that's meaningful to me and that I actively seek out is 
collaborating with other Latino creators. And so we did meet at Podcast Movement. We did. I remember I connected with you and I just wanted to support your work because you're part of my community. So it's just, it's only fair. Gracias. And I guess to give a little bit of context as to who I am and my story. So my name is Gael. I'm the creator and host of Teenager Therapy. Now, Teenager Therapy is the largest mental health podcast in the world, but that didn't happen out of nowhere. Woo-hoo. Okay. <laughs> oh, yes, exactly. Thank you. I mean, look, my story goes back all the way in the small town in Mexico where I was born. I was born in a small town in Mexico. And when I was around two or three, my mom dropped out of college. And funny enough, her dream was to be a radio host. And she dropped out in order to come to the U.S. and work in order to support me because she was running out of money. And because of that, I lived with my grandma for like three years in Mexico up until I was six. And then when I was six, I was finally able to join my mom and come to the United States very, very young. And I remember I didn't know a single word of English. The only word actually, well, the only word I knew was donkey. And I just vividly remember <laughs> learning that word in kindergarten. And it just stuck with me. That's so cute. Because I could use it to like tease my family members. Yeah. And I would just go around and be like, oh, you're a donkey. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was a funny, that was a funny thing. And I remember I came to the U.S. and I didn't speak the language. And I was really shy. I do not speak a lot. You know, I was a kid that did not speak a lot. I was shy. I was very scared of everything. Mm -hmm. And suddenly, like, I joined my first grade class halfway through the year. And, you know, I just remember coming here. Actually, I don't know if it was kindergarten or first grade, but I just joined at some point, right? I joined my class and I didn't speak English. And I remember just being like, okay, well, I'm here now. And thankfully, I was in a school and I was in a community where there was a lot of Latinos and -hmm. a lot of Spanish speakers. And so I was am very grateful that I was able to feel supported and I didn't feel too out of place at my school mm-hmm. because a lot of the people around me spoke to me in Spanish and they realized I only speak Spanish so they spoke to me in Spanish and thankfully I was a I'd like to say I was a smart kid because I learned the language pretty quickly and by second grade I like was able to speak English I was speaking with my with my friends and my teachers and you know I was still very shy like I remember the biggest problem I had was just not being able to asked to use the restroom because I didn't know the language. Oh. I was just holding in my oh, like my key and like I was so scared. I was like, oh my God. So that was a big struggle. That was what I was struggling with back then. But you know, fast forward, I'm I'm doing good in school, doing good in everything. And then when I was 13, I basically all I used to do as a child was play video games, which I think is like great. That's what every kid should do. But I like to say that my <laughs> my ambition comes from a lack of privilege. Because when I was 13, I remember having this feeling of feeling very, very useless. I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I not working? Oh. Right? Like, At 13? Yes, at that age. At 13, at you age. were feeling useless because you weren't working? Yeah. Oh, yeah. my God. I was like, I wow. should be like making money. I should be doing something to help. I like felt, you know, like, what am I doing? And so I had that overwhelming fear. Was this because your mom was a single mom and it was just you and her? I think so. I mean, I think so. Yeah, like, you know, it was her, me and my sister. And I think it was just because maybe just noticing that, like, yeah, we don't have a lot of money or, like, I know how stressed she is. And I was just take notice of those things as a kid and I wanted to help. And I remember when I was 13, I just really felt like I want to help my family. I want to help my mom financially. I want to, like, get us to a better place. And I felt this pressure to start. And also, I was on the internet and I just noticed that, and this was back in the era of influencers, 
It was back when, you know, it, like it, the concept of an influencer was still getting started. And I would see like these 16, 17 year olds that would, you know, they had a lot of followers and they would sell a hoodie and they would sell like 10,000 units of their hoodie for $30 and they made like $30,000. And I was like, oh my God, like, how did you make that much? You know, like I just had to make thousands and thousands of dollars just by selling a hoodie. And so that's when I kind of, it kind of clicked in my head that if you want to make a lot of money really quickly, you need audience and you need influence. If you have an audience and if you have influence, you could be unstoppable. Because I knew that I didn't want to sacrifice my time to make money forever because that's not truly how you can build wealth. And so I was like, okay, well, now I got to build an audience. And so when I was 13, I, I started a fan account for a band that like I really loved at the time, 21 Pilots. And I I started a, an Instagram page where I would just post memes and stuff and interact with the community. And I grew that account to 35,000 followers. Amazing. So you grew your audience from 21 Pilots. Is that how you grew that? And they're a big band. I mean, they're like one yeah. of the biggest bands, mm -hmm. right? So I'm just fascinated that you could do that. Were you posting on their page? I'm curious about that. <laughs> so the way it works. Yeah, no, of course. That's what I'm here for. Like. I need to learn the new music uh, influencing skills. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Social media management and like knowing how to use social media is so powerful. And like since I was born with it, I think I just naturally picked it up. And of course, up that you skill. guys own it. You know, you guys are owning it for for you will be owning it and, and doing so much more in the future. So that's why I, I think it's really important to hear your voice and your concerns and and how you're sharing things and what you know the challenges are so this that's i mean it's very impactful right yeah thank you so yeah basically i just started a new instagram account and i came up with a random name and what i did was just post memes first i started just posting pictures of the band and doing hashtag 21 pilots hashtag like you know music I remember the first post got like 100 likes and I was like, oh my God, this is so much. This is so many likes, 100 likes already. Like it was wild. So I just kept doing it. I kept doing posts. And then I would start posting memes and I would just like screenshot memes people made and then post them. And then eventually I started making my own memes. And I think that's when my account really like took off. It's when I started making my own con content because I put my watermark on it and then everybody knew that like, oh, that's his content. That's he's making that. And it's so funny because a lot of the memes that I made back then are like still in circulation today. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, it's so funny. I will see like the memes I made when I was 13 or 14. And so that's what I did. Just kept posting memes, kept posting memes. Like they did really well. They would get lots of reshares. They would go viral, thousands and thousands of likes and just kept growing that account. And after that, I was like, okay, what's next? I have an audience. How do I monetize this? Yep. And... I think one of the first things I did is I was like, I'm just going to make like a little journal and like put a design on a journal and then just sell it to people. And so I got on this website, I got on Photoshop, I made like a little design with lyrics from a 21 Pilot song. I put the lyrics and like put some art on it on a on a journal. And then I was like, hey guys, you could go buy like my little journal. And people bought it, surprisingly. I was very surprised that people bought it. And I was so proud of that. I think I, I think like 10 people bought it. And I think I made like, I don't know, like 200, $250. And I thought that was like, whoa, this is so much money. And that's <laughs> when it clicked. Like, oh my God, if I could just keep selling stuff, I can keep making money. Mm -hmm. It seems so easy. And that's when I was like, okay, how do I take this to the next level? And so I was like, what if I make clothes? What if I hire artists to make clothes that are inspired by 21 Pilots? And then I sell that and then make money off that. 
And so basically, that's what I did. I started a shop. And what I did is I, I, I started a shop that would allow me to like work with artists to make clothes. And then I would pay the artist like a part of the sales for the clothes they made. And I would keep some of it and did that. And then apply the same strategy of using memes to grow the other Instagram account. And then eventually I grew it to at its peak. It was at 100,000. Nice. Yeah. So it grew to 100,000 followers on that clothing shop. And just I kept selling clothing, kept selling T-shirts, kept selling stuff. And I think that shop did 100K in revenue in its lifetime in like the year and a half that I ran it. So it did pretty well. Yeah, it did pretty well. And that's when I was like, okay, what is next? Because I knew that I had the audience. I didn't have the influence myself. I was like, I need influence for myself because I was on the back end. I wasn't in the front end. And I realized like, how do I put myself at the forefront of what I'm doing and make it about me and my story as well and not just what's out there? Because I knew I wanted to be the face of it. Obviously not to be like conceited, but I knew that's like that's where you really start <laughs> making new new connections and opportunities. Absolutely. People want to get to know you. Like mm-hmm. who is the person behind this great audience, growing the audience, your product? People want to know. Yeah. And so when I was 15, I remember listening to Couples Therapy by Casey and Candace Neistat. And in that podcast, it's just Casey and Candace talking about the issues they go through in their marriage. And they would talk about like, but I never feel like you take responsibility, but I feel like I do. And I was like, whoa, I relate so much. Like, I'm totally <laughs> relating to these people. And, you know, I shouldn't because I'm like, it's, it feels like I shouldn't since I'm like so much younger and they're so much older than me that I'm like, how am I relating to this so deeply? But that's when I realized like, wow, it's a really amazing thing to be able to relate to someone and see yourself in that. That really keeps you hooked mm-hmm. because I, I think something that I was always fascinated about was the concept of seeing people's opinions on my actions. I think all of us secretly like want to get someone else's input. Like if we're ever like if we're ever in an argument with a friend and we think we're right, like there's ever sometimes pe- we get that urge of be like, like you tell a friend like, hey, this is what happened. Like, am I not in the right? Like they're totally in the wrong, right? Mm-hmm. And like you, we want that validation that like yes, I knew it. We were right all along. And so with that in mind, I was like, whoa. So what if there was a podcast where I guess like teenagers could just go and they could talk about their issues. And then any teen that's listening could see how people are dealing with it. And if they see how they're dealing with it, then like, I don't know, maybe there's like power in that. Maybe they'd feel like more, they'd feel less alone. Or maybe they Mm -hmm. would, they would understand themselves a little better. Or they would get the validation that like, yes, I dealt with it the same way. Like, it's good. I, 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 I agree with that. And so September of 2018, during my sophomore year of high school, uh, I was 15 years old and I asked four of my friends, do you guys want to start a podcast together? And all four of them said, yes, I like the idea a lot. Like, let's do it. It sounds amazing. And so I researched how to start a podcast, taught myself how to start a podcast, how to film, how to record, how to upload it. And then published it on Instagram and then used the audience that I had built from those two accounts to push that audience onto Teenage Therapy. Mm -hmm. And that's how Teenage Therapy was born right off the bat. Like we had thousands of listeners on the podcast. Like I think overnight we had a thousand listens or something like that, which was like incredible because it was the first time that people were seeing my work and acknowledging me as the person that was behind it because I had been, I, I guess, sort of anonymous this whole time. So now that I was like at the forefront and I was the face of it along with all my other friends, it was it was definitely a funny feeling. But that's how Teenage Therapy came to be, how 21 Pilots indirectly influenced 
teenage therapy. Wow. that I love that story because music, you can use music for so many things. And I am a huge music fan. A lot of people may not know that or they, the people that know me know my past of music and loving music, supporting music. I used to manage bands actually back in the day because that's how old I am. Mm. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I also DJed. So there's, I know there's a whole collection of records out there. You can't see, I want to put them in the background so people can see it at some point, but not a lot, but there's a few and it really has the power to inspire you. And it goes across so many, I want to say boundaries, right? So you clung on to something that was meaningful and important that spoke to you. And you just took that idea and you manifested it out into the podcasting world. What strikes me about your following and that you did do this with your friends in a collaboration effort is that you saw something or you felt something rather that people weren't connecting. And I love your um, intro music, by the way, to the podcast. (laughs) It's so cool and funny at the same time because it says, hey, we have problems too, you know, teenage therapy. And I think you are touching a nerve that a lot of people are missing and that you do have problems. And there's so many ways I could go on this, especially with social media and influencing because I was in tech for a long time and I know the power of those platforms. And a lot of them are really, they've just kind of pulled us all in different directions now, right? And I was before internet, in the internet, and worked mm-hmm. in the internet. And especially those big platforms, those two big ones, Google and, and Facebook. And I know what's behind there. So teenagers right now are so influenced by everything that they see and do on these platforms, but yet they control so much of it. You guys have so much power over it. My whole thing is they have so much power that we're trying to catch up to you. Yeah. I just wanted to bring that up because um, I think this segment of, you know, being in Mental Health Awareness Month is very important because I listen to a lot of podcasts that talk about how these platforms are negatively impacting a lot of teenagers, especially women, a lot of young Mm. women, and how uh, the suicide rates are going up. And also because of the pandemic that's happened, um, there was a recent article in the New York Times that just came out in March about how teenagers were severely affected. There was a high suicide rate and that there was a lot of physical abuse during the pandemic and nobody's acknowledging Mm. it except probably you guys. Yeah, I mean, it's... I know that's a lot there. That's a lot. That's, (laughs) you know, I mean, it is, but I think it's, it's it's a fair question because it's actually something I think over the past couple of weeks, I've started to notice more and more how the pandemic affected me. I remember back when the big issue was a lot of like, how has the pandemic affected teenagers? And there was a lot of early data coming out mm-hmm. about mental illness and, and how it, the pandemic exacerbated it, especially in, in teenagers and in adolescents. And for me, I always saw those headlines and I kind of took them with a grain of salt. Like, okay, I feel like 
we say that about everything. Like, everything impacts our mental health, really. Like, you know, so it's just took it as a vanity headline. Mm-hmm. But I, I think now that I'm experiencing firsthand, I've really started to notice it more and, and to give context as to what I mean. I've been having a lot of a lot of personal thoughts on my life over the past two years that the pandemic has kind of since it began, right? Mm-hmm. And it's weird. It almost feels like a disassociation from reality. Mm-hmm. I, I think back to life before the pandemic, and it seems like it's split. It, I, it's such a weird feeling to describe. It feels like we split from what our perceived reality was into this alternate reality that I'm like unfamiliar with and and then it's it's one of those things that it doesn't you don't realize it's happening until it hits you way down the line mm-hmm. it's kind of like when you don't you don't realize you're in the in the past until you pass it and you're like oh my god that was a long time ago and that's what I realized that I, I like I would look back at 2020 you know January of 2020 and I would see where I was and I was like oh my god who was that who am I I thought I was still that person but if I compare myself to who I am now, I'm no longer that. I am so different. Mm-hmm. My life looks so different. The people in my life are severely different. And that was a, that's been a really weird thing to navigate because it feels like like we're like I'm gonna return to that. Like I like I'm gonna return to that. I'm gonna go back to high school and like finish it off and be like, okay, like the pandemic happened, now we're back. But it won't. We just keep going. We just keep going. And I think a lot of teenagers are feeling the same way. And that's why you're like, I. it feels like you don't, get, you don't get closure out of something that like was a big part of your life. Because I think college and graduating high school is such, such, such an important milestone in a teen's life. Because it mm-hmm. kind of gives you that direct cut between adolescence and entryway into adulthood and so when when a lot of teenagers didn't have that i think many of them have struggled to come to terms with the fact that okay this part is over we need to move on and then something that even makes it harder to deal with is the fact that many classes are still online Mm -hmm. so it's like you were told there was this big change and your life is changing but your life didn't necessarily reflect it and so with online learning what you find is that a teen that graduated high school during the pandemic and they did everything virtually and suddenly they're like now entering college, but still through a computer in their room and people that they like saw the last time they saw them was like in March of 2020. Mm-hmm. They'll never see again. And now they're like connecting with new people and like these new people are now their like current circle and current reality. It's weird because it's like a big change happened, but it's like, nothing around you reflected that and i think that's messing with a lot of teens heads and i wonder i am I'm, I'm curious to read more and see what the data shows and if if that's sort of like the effect of that has been a a sort of disconnection from reality and if maybe that's what has led to a lot of depression and teens having a hard time accepting this is where they're at now oh 100% there with you i mean when i read this article They are gathering the data around that, and it is touching upon the points that you just mentioned. It is a clear sign that everybody, especially young teenagers and the younger generation, are going to have this PTSD, right? Mm. Which I think that they're experiencing now, trying to, as you say, move on. That's what I'm reading about, and that it's very important that we acknowledge this and how we're going to keep people 
embraced in a way that they're not lonely, right? Like, how do we keep them from feeling isolated, right? Because you mm -hmm. you were in the most impactful years of your life being isolated and you had to struggle. And that's the most social time of your life. Yeah. It's yes. the most social, the most social. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, I know there's like, there's even lots of studies that show the effects of isolation. I think there was some experiments or some data that show that if you don't expose a baby to language, there's a good chance they will, their brain will adapt and never be able to pick it up even years after. Like isolation really does so much damage and it like fundamentally changes your brain. And in some extreme cases, it totally removes the ability to do certain things. So yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think that those two years of isolation definitely had effects, especially because yeah, these are times where you're supposed to be really social. You're supposed to be kind of closing closing some friendships, opening some new ones, figuring it all out. But instead, you were left with this jumble of everything closed at once and no one's sure where to pick up. Right. And if you were able to meet with people online, it's still not the same thing. And there is, you know, solitary confinement in prison is inhumane in most states mm. here mm -hmm. in California. Right. It's like you can't put somebody in solitary confinement because it is inhumane, just what we're saying, because it it alters the brain into a different reality. And it's yeah. it's the same. So I feel like we all had maybe a little touch of that dur during COVID, why we're trying to come out of it. And I think you hit something very spot on, which is trying to come back out and move on to where it was before. We can't, we've seen too much. We've heard so much and it's like the the pandemic has really put us into a, a movement of acknowledging people that are in that predicament and then also saying, well, uh, you know, how do I support them even more when I don't know how to support myself, right? And how do I find a relationship that I'm going to trust Again, I think a lot of trust might have been broken during this time as well. What are your mm -hmm. thoughts on that? I mean, do you feel I've seen you talk about a lot of things on your podcast and it does touch around the relation. I mean, it's very focused on relationships in your podcast, what you talk about. Yeah. Yeah. Trust as in the people that are truly there for you. Well, I mean, you know, we were isolated. Yeah. And so you have your parents there and then you have the disconnect that the parents don't understand you. Right. That's mm. like the teenagers that that's been millennium. <laughs> yeah. Know, it's like, yeah, that never goes away. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Exactly. You know, it's like they don't understand me. So you have that. Right. Like there's no connection or, you know, I we all struggle. We all went through that. But that's a part of it. But then you're with them all the time. And then you're through in the pandemic. What was the sense that you were getting from your fan base on that? Because I'm sure they were reaching out to you a lot during the pandemic. Yeah, it was such an interesting time. It's weird how quick it went by. Like, I, I forget that my mom was home and I was home with her for like nine, ten months in a row. Mm. And that hasn't happened in... I don't know if it ever has, mm -hmm. right? Like that was such a unique experience. And looking back at it, I was like, oh my God, I totally forgot that happened. Like it, ha everything happened so quick and it was so mundane that like my brain just erased 
big chunks of my life. Mm. And I, actually, I wonder. I think that's part of the reason why I feel like I just popped up here, gained consciousness. I was like, "Oh my god, where am I?" Mm-hmm. Because I have forgot so much of the progress I made each and every day during the pandemic that I totally, you know, disassociated from it. And so I think I, I think a lot of people felt that way, especially when it comes to like their parents. I think there was a lot of bonding that happened, but for me, it's like. Kind of scary how little of it we remember. Mm, that's interesting. Yeah, I mean, this is a moment that you will never forget. Obviously, right? Yeah. This is this is. Yeah, I would say this is the moment that everybody will not forget. But when we mm-hmm. look back in history, and w- there were episodes in the American timeline, right, of pain and pandemic and upheaval and war. Families were relocated. Families have been pulled apart. You know, this is like extended trauma, right, that comes into play. And how we deal with that is very important. So I just want to thank you for giving a platform for young folks to plug into and to, you know, have a a space, you know, to go to. Because you can go anywhere and you can do lots of really awful things, but you're telling people out there with your group that it's going to be okay, right? Yeah, it is. I think the way that I like to describe it is we're not necessarily preaching positivity. I think back in 2015, 2016, there was this narrative of overly positive messaging in Mm. media and social media and everywhere you went, you were bombarded with this (laughs) This idea that you should be positive and you should smile and joy and positive vibes only and everything. And I think now, especially during 2020 and and beyond, we're leaning into this as a society and at least the the youth Mm -hmm. are leaning towards this idea of a hopeful optimism. And that's how we approach it. And and I like to preach the values of of reflection Mm -hmm. and reflecting on the mistakes we've made. The, makes, the mistakes we will make in the future and the forgiveness that we allow ourselves to indulge in and the forgiveness that we're generous with when we give it to others. Mm-hmm. Because I, I truly believe that we want to be hopeful about the future. And I say hopefully positive because it's it's it allows you to acknowledge that there are shortcomings that will happen along the way. Mm-hmm. But if you remain that positivity in a way that allows you to embrace it and grow from it and understand things get better, I think that allows for healthier growth. And so that's something that we always preach. Wow. You are way ahead of your years, sir. That's what I'm (laughs) going to say. And I'm so happy that we found you and that we're having this discussion. You know, I have a nephew that's maybe a year younger than you. And I know he goes through a hard time. You know, my sister, you know, and she's a therapist, right? So I know you're not a therapist, (laughs) yeah. but she's a therapist. And we talk about this all the time. Like, you know, he's missing out on so many things and now they're going back and he's readjusting, right? He's readjusting. Mm -hmm. But he had a, a, a little network that in their bubble, so to speak, during COVID that they could, you know, kind of meet every now and again outside. But... It's just a time we'll never forget. And the fact that you started it before the pandemic 
and that you became a hub for people to turn to young folks. I think it's, it's awesome. And the fact that Megan and Harry reached out to you, you You interviewed them during that time. I was like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Oh my gosh. That was so crazy. That was a wild moment for sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah, look, the pandemic was a double-edged sword, but that is one of the good things that came out of it. Like I (laughs) truly believe it was, it was a wild experience when they Mm -hmm. came on and we did the interview with them. It was, it was a, it was a highlight of our podcasting career. Yeah. I mean, talking about peaking early. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. I mean, I see Mm. lots of things after that, but you Mm -hmm. know, here you were. And I said, how did this happen? But no, it was a, it was a time to embrace, you know, everybody and the youth especially and they're big promoters of that. So, I think it's awesome. And at Podcast Movement, you were invited to speak yeah. there. So, tell mm-hmm. us a little bit about what they uh chose you for on a speaking panel. Yeah. And so I was at Podcast Movement in LA about a month ago or so. Mm-hmm. Um I was there with Anchor/Spotify and we did a panel on how to build a brand. And basically, we we talked a lot about building a brand as a as a podcaster and as as a teenager and a lot of marketing to Gen Z. I think is what we talked about. Mm-hmm. And something about that experience was so ironic because I came to the event and it was my first time in any event like that. And the first thing I noticed is I was the youngest one there. Mm-hmm. Like everyone was much much older <laughs> than me. Like they were people that were there before the word podcast was even a thing. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, yeah, this looks like what a podcast conference would look like. And I would go to a couple panels that I thought would be interesting. And I specifically remember remember that in some of these panels, you know, it would be these older folks talking about like the power of TikTok and the power of social media and how you could use these things to leverage your brand and gain mm-hmm. a bigger audience. And, you know, the room would be filled and they'd be taking notes. And then our panel comes around and the room is not nearly as filled as those other panels. <laughs> and we are like, it's there's that irony. And I've experienced this many times where I go to events, either like in this industry where like part of the focus is on how do you reach a younger audience or using things like TikTok. And there's older folks trying to give advice on how to do it. And to me, it, it's, it's, it seems a little silly. Like it's good advice, but it's a little silly because these are just almost like the basics of everything. It's like the very, very basics. And I'm right. like, I mean, like if you would come to like the panels where people that are younger than you are speaking, you would be much more up to date than trying to see how what industry professionals think about it. Because mm-hmm. I truly think, not to say just because you're older, you're not qualified. I think there's some very qualified older people that have dominated the platforms and they understand it Mm -hmm. but more than anything young people truly understand it and and even if they're not experts just you if you want to reach younger audiences just studying them seeing how they speak where they hang out what they do what Mm -hmm. they use is incredibly valuable and so i remember in that panel we just spoke a lot about building a brand and using social media and why we did video why we use video and all those stuff so it was a super, super fun panel. I wish more people came and listened because I truly think these people like would benefit a lot from hearing young people speak. Absolutely. I hate to say it, but I look and see what you're doing. And we have a, you know, a demographic on the podcast that really listens to this that are younger. But it goes both because when the podcast talks, we say from the block to the boardroom and we're building a bridge 
of wisdom from the young to the old because we're sharing knowledge and you definitely are sharing the knowledge. I mean, for me and the amount of time to spend to learn all these things that you just can do with your eyes closed is so much. And I'm like, (laughs) how do I dedicate the time? Right. And I think probably like old folks like myself, Chicanosaurus here, you know, we're just like, just give me (laughs) the basics. I just want to know the basics. But you're saying, hey, you need to level up, level up, level up to this Mm -hmm. because this is where you attract the people. So Mm -hmm. to work in tandem, we have to leverage each other, right, in certain capacities. And I think that's what we're saying at those types of events. But yes, we do need to learn more from the younger generation. I do. When my nieces come and visit or I visit them and they're showing (laughs) me something, I'm like, oh, my God, that, you know, like they're just like boom, 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 right on their phone. Yeah. And I'm telling you, this is where also more people of color because we share all these things together we need to i always say this too on on the podcast we need to be on product teams for technology we need to tell them hey this community does this and this community needs this and if we're not providing it we're being exclusionary and they're being isolated right they're being kept back right But we always, you know, Latinos, we find a way, right? We're like, you know, my Theo and my cousin, you know, and over here, they're going to tell me how to do this and they're going to share their password with me. (laughs) Yeah, 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 exactly. We're savvy. Right. We try to find ways. So, (laughs) but, you know, I I just want to end on that a little bit because... It's very important. And your generation is really at the helm of taking that over and advocating for that, especially for the next generation coming up, right? Because that is so important and it's ready to be broken up. Mm -hmm. It's waiting for that uh, moment. And I think a lot of folks that are listening right now, and we always, I always say this on the podcast with every guest is we need you in tech. And once you're there, or if you can't get there, then you build it yourself. And I think that's what Mm. you did early on, which is impressive, (laughs) right? You built this foundation on your T-shirts, leveraging Mm -hmm. technology with 21 pilots. And now you have Mm -hmm. your biggest, you you know, teenage therapy. I think it's the biggest. It's It's literally like, it's not even an exaggeration. It's like one of the only and the biggest teen mental health podcasts. And you're not therapists. I'm not a therapist. No, no it's just important. talking and being mm-hmm. like talking therapy is what it is yeah. by, by teenagers. And it's big, yeah. people. It's big. So I think <laughs> if anybody wants to tap in to what is really going on with younger folks, you know, go to teenage therapy and check in because I think it's it's great. It's a great platform. I love the yeah. video concept that you yeah. do. You know, old folks, they, they do it too, but I'm just trying to, these platforms now are becoming more savvy where everybody can do it. But you guys have a really nice niche and how you cut back and forth to everybody. It's really cool. I like it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really like the conversation though. I think it like it even inspired like I want to do a topic on the pandemic like ASAP. I feel like we haven't 
talked about it in a while because I feel like everyone's so burnt out. But now I feel like it's kind of been a good amount of time since like the press bombardment of pandemic, pandemic, pandemic that we can actually be like, okay, what happened? What happened to us? So I want to just end here, but I want to ask, where can we see you next, Gael? What's what's coming up? Let us know what's coming up for you. Yeah, lots of lots of big things. Some projects you might not see for another two, three years, but they'll they'll be there. Um, surprise! And, uh, it's a surprise. No, it's a big <laughs> surprise. Big surprise. Just keep your keep your eyes out for the name Teenager Therapy. I'm sure you'll hear you'll hear of us. Um, could always find us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple, whatever platform you use. Teenager Therapy. If you ever want to get a youth's perspective on the the values that we hold on new new issues and topics. Um, and then on socials at Teenager Therapy everywhere. Mm-hmm. I think it's great. And I think you're going to do very well in anything that you do. So I look forward to bigger and better and massive, you know, opportunities for you. Yeah. I'm looking forward to yeah. another podcast you. with you in the future to see mm-hmm. when those come through. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll do. We'll catch up. Gracias, Gael, for joining me today on Latinas from the Block to the Boardroom. Wow, I am so inspired by his optimism and starting this podcast, Teenager Therapy, which you can find on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. You can also follow Teenager Therapy on their Instagram handle at Teenager Therapy, Facebook, and Twitter. This podcast was co-produced and engineered by Robert Lopez and produced by Teresa Gonzalez of LatinasB2B.com. And this podcast is sponsored by 5E Leadership and Marketing. If you'd like to follow us and subscribe to our newsletter to understand more about entrepreneurial businesses, podcast highlights, and tech industry news, go to latinasb2b.com and subscribe to our newsletter. Gracias.